Well, if you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open it up to Nehemiah 1 and 2. You can use an app on your phone, the bulletin that you got. It was a lengthy reading, chapter 1, the very beginning of chapter 2. It's going to serve a great purpose for us today. And to get us thinking about that, think back in your life. Maybe it's going on right now. Perhaps it's sometime in your past. When did you ever experience the pressure of leadership? The pressure of leadership. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be a boss or somebody in charge of people. Think back to your career. Perhaps you faced a pressure-filled situation that you were in charge of, managing a team. If you've ever served as a teacher or thinking even more locally here to our father, a VBS leader, one of our mentors for our youth on parish council, leading one of our missional communities, where have you experienced the pressure of leadership? If you still can't think of anything, think to your own family. If you've ever dealt with a difficult situation, maybe the loss of a parent or a loved one, a financial pressure, not having a job, these are all things in which we have had to face this difficult aspect of being a leader. And what we see in Nehemiah is quite possibly one of the best examples, if, the, if not the best example, of a leader in all of Scripture. Now, first of all, what I think is amazing about Nehemiah is that he's a lay person. He's not a priest like Ezra. He wasn't appointed to this position through the prophetic words of somebody like Samuel speaking to one of the kings of Israel. He didn't have a face-to-face -face conversation with God like Abraham did, like Moses did. Instead, he came to the conclusion through his prayer life that God was calling him to be a leader, and he goes on to do incredible things. Here's just some of the attributes that we'll be looking at over the next several weeks, looking at Nehemiah, his leadership qualities that are worth emulating. Number one, he's a noble in the king's court. He's a cupbearer to the king. It doesn't sound like much to us today, but it was a very esteemed position. He had great trust from the king, and yet he demonstrates great humility when dealing with the people in Israel. He had been given great power, and yet he didn't use that power to wield it against other people. He used it to build up the city walls in Jerusalem. He was given a lot of money, a great salary, but he doesn't use that for himself. Instead, he gives it to the poor. But three things that we're going to look at today, I mentioned at the beginning of the service, three things that we see in our text today, characteristics of a leader that are worth emulating for us are these. Nehemiah's life of prayer, his boldness, and the courage that he demonstrates. And then lastly, let's look at Nehemiah's heart for restoration. Now first, we'll deal with probably, I shouldn't say probably, it is the most important characteristic of a leader, especially for us who call ourselves Christian here today. It was Nehemiah's life of prayer. And we see this beautiful prayer, the first chapter of Nehemiah. It's very theologically rich and appropriate. And it seems like on first glance that Nehemiah hears the bad news of Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees in prayer and he prays this thing and then he goes to work doing what God's calling him to do. That's not what happened. Look closer at the text with me. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says that it was the month of uh, uh, Chislev. This is the Hebrew calendar, really, this is November and December of 446 B.C. Then, go and look at verse 6. It says that he goes to prayer, and he prays before God night and day. So it's not just a few times here, a few times there. He's praying night and day, beginning in November, 
But then if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, it says it's the month of Nisan, the 20th year. That's actually March and April of 445 B.C. And what that means is that Nehemiah, once he hears the bad news, is praying not once, not twice, not a couple days. He's praying day and night, every day, for three to five months. Nehemiah is very patient in prayer. Let me say that again. Nehemiah is patient in prayer. Which reminds me of a joke. There's three guys golfing on a golf course, a pastor, a doctor, and an engineer, and they get to the seventh hole, and things were going great, but there's guys on the seventh hole, they're taking forever, and the guys are starting to get upset, they're getting annoyed, they're frustrated, the game is not moving. And the marshal comes by on his golf court, and the engineer says, what is taking so long? Get these guys off the hole. The engineer, or the uh, marshal, looks at the engineer, and tears start welling up in his eyes. He's very emotional. And he says, oh, you got to understand, you see, these guys golfing on the golf course are firefighters. And several months ago, we had a horrible fire in the clubhouse, and these guys rushed into the building. They actually saved several of our employees, but in the process, great damage occurred to their eyesight, and now they're practically blind. And to say thank you for their sacrifice, we let them come here and golf whenever they want, just to say thanks. Now, the pastor was very heartbroken and embarrassed, and of course he says, well, listen, when we get back to church, I'm going to have our whole congregation pray for these brave firefighters. And the doctor, also filled with compassion, said, yes, on Monday morning, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to email the entire network of doctors in our, in our program, and we're going to find a solution. We're going to help bring, restore eyesight to these firefighters. But the engineer was unmoved. And he looks right at the marshal and he says, well, then why don't they just golf at night? <laughs> I think this is an appropriate joke because we're talking about, again, the patience of prayer. But isn't it true that oftentimes in our life today as modern Americans, we approach the situations and the trouble that we find ourselves in, the suffering of this world, more like that engineer, not praying about it, not being patient in our prayer, but wanting to go and fix things ourselves, go right to action and avoid the prayer. It's difficult to be patient in prayer, and yet what we see in Nehemiah is not only does he show us to be patient, to wait, to pray, and to wait, and to pray, and to wait. There's great character formation that's happening in Nehemiah's life as he waits in prayer. There's no indication in our text here that Nehemiah knew instantly that he was to go to Jerusalem. Instead, what happens is he's praying and waiting and praying and waiting for the perfect opportunity. At some point in the middle of his prayer life, he gets this idea, well, maybe, maybe it's me that's supposed to go do something. I mean, who else in all of Persia as a Jewish person has this close of a connection to the most powerful person in the land? And then he has to wait for this perfect opportunity. And as he's doing that, God is forming in him this, this character. And it's in that time of prayer that we get our next two attributes. We see where he gets his boldness and his courage and really what forms in him the heart for restoration, the heart for the city. So let's turn our attention to that second characteristic, boldness and courage. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. At the very end, it says that he was very much afraid. 
Well, in order to understand why he's afraid, first we've got to understand a little bit about the Persian Empire and the kings that came before this king, Artaxerxes. It began with Cyrus. We looked at Cyrus in the very first week. He's the one that made the decree in the first place that the Israelites can go back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And Cyrus had a pretty successful career. He built a very powerful empire, but Cyrus was assassinated. And then Darius takes over as king, and we see Darius in the book of Daniel. He shows up in other books of the Bible, and Darius, again, pretty good king, lives a pretty successful life, but then he was assassinated by somebody close to him. And then Xerxes takes over. Xerxes is the king in the book of Esther. And Xerxes has a pretty good career and a very nice empire, but then Xerxes is, guess what, assassinated. He's murdered by somebody close to him. So by the time we get to Artaxerxes, he's looking at his family history, and he's saying, this is not going to happen to me. And we know from outside biblical texts, Artaxerxes was a very uh, powerful king, but he also was very ruthless. If he suspected for a second that you were trying to assert power, He would have you put in prison or he would have you killed. And so when Nehemiah says he is afraid, being the most trusted official in all of the court, he's afraid because he knows that what he's about to ask is insane. It's bold, it's crazy. And if the king believes that he's trying to uh, gain power for himself or if he wants to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls so that the kingdom of Israel can restore its power, Nehemiah would, at worst case, lose his life but equally devastating, and those of us who have lost a job before know, he would lose his position. He'd lose his, his place in the kingdom. It's an incredible, incredibly bold ask that he makes here. And I love, if you look at verse 4, right before the, the king asks, what are you requesting? Notice what he does. Kind of gut reaction. So I pray to the Lord of heaven. This is like the Hail Mary prayer that maybe you've been in that situation before. You don't have time to say it out loud. You just think it, oh Lord, please help me. And with great boldness, he asks for these things from the king. Now, what's the point? I think for us today, we live in an age where Christian men and women need to step up and be bold and courageous. If you look at the city in which we live, Denver, and the suburbs, and you see the suffering that's going on, you see the evil that's going on, you see people who desperately need to, first of all, hear about Jesus and to trust in Jesus. There's a great need right in our own community. Then you go beyond our community. Let's think about some of the places we do mission work in Honduras, in Juarez, Mexico, in India. You know, this is a horrible sales pitch, but you go to one of those mission trips, you can be killed, you can be kidnapped, you can get typhoid fever, that's still a thing. There's great risk involved. And right in our own backyard, the DTC, Denver Tech Center is one of the highest places for human trafficking in the entire United States. It's five miles away. Young girls being trafficked, manipulated, and sold. A horrible evil. The racism that we see that divides us as a country, maybe even in our own hearts. What breaks your heart? What makes you weep when you see it? And I'll ask you this convicting question. If we don't go as Christians, if we don't speak up in bold and courageous, using bold and courageous words, who will say those things? Who will do those things? And even more of a troubling question, what will happen if we don't? We live in an age where we desperately need Christian men and women to respond to the troubles of this world with great boldness 
and with great courage. And Nehemiah shows us in our text here today that this is not something that we muster up ourselves. It's formed on the back of a patient prayer life. What breaks your heart? What needs to be restored? What might God be calling you to jump into, to be a leader, to face the pressures of this culture? Like Nehemiah, we need to go to God in prayer, but also, and this is our final thing, there's some awesome theology in Nehemiah's prayer because what I just said is very heavy, isn't it? You might feel the weight of what we call challenge or the law. That's not going to change the world, by the way, the law. Instead, we need something deeper, and Nehemiah points it to us in his prayer. Look with me closer, back to chapter 1, verse 5. Nehemiah prays this, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and with those who obey his commands, his covenant of love. Now, What Nehemiah is pointing back to is the very first covenant that founded the nation of Israel in the first place. It was first the covenant that God made with a man named Abram, whose name was then changed to Abraham. In very beginning in the book of Genesis, we read that on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give this land. His descendants are the people of Israel. God then reaffirms the covenant with Moses. He calls Moses on Mount Sinai. And it says that, to Moses, God says, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. This is the covenant of love that Nehemiah is speaking about. God, throughout history, has made this covenant with his people, and it says in our text that if you follow the covenant, if you're faithful to it, then I'm going to bless you. And then Nehemiah, and then Nehemiah reminds us that the covenant of Moses said that if you are unfaithful, you are sent away, but if you're faithful, then I'm going to bless you. And then Nehemiah does this. He admits in this prayer that the people have not been faithful. That time and time again, the people have broken God's commands and broken the promise that they made. And in essence, what Nehemiah is admitting to here is that God is doing all the heavy lifting. The people can bring nothing to the table. God is doing everything. So we see grace in the Old Testament. It wasn't just about the law. God himself was intervening in this covenant. And what Nehemiah couldn't possibly understand, he might have had a glimpse of it. But he thought he was going to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to restore the people. And and there was this sense of restoration in his heart. But what Nehemiah was really doing was paving the way for the one who would bring ultimate restoration. In a couple of minutes, Pastor Abel is going to lead us in our communion liturgy, and he's going to repeat these words of Jesus, who on the night when he was betrayed, picked up the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, the new covenant. The new covenant poured out in my blood, not in your blood, but in my blood. And what really Jesus is doing is showing us his incredible heart for restoration. See, Nehemiah cared about the city, and he wanted to restore the walls, but what he was doing is really pointing to the one who would restore all walls and break down the walls of hostility. Jesus was about the restoring of not just the city, but of the entire world, of the world's hearts, the brokenness that we see in our world. And so if you're wrestling here today, if you're convicted that perhaps you haven't in your life as a Christian, 
in your estimation, done much for the kingdom of God, if you have not had a lot of compassion for the things that we see in this world, if your heart is broken this very moment for some things or some situations or some people that you know, the place to go to is not inside your heart. The place to go to and to look to is the heart of Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life, shed his blood so that on this day we can, like Nehemiah, admit our sins and ask for forgiveness, but then be encouraged, be inspired to look at Jesus, to live self-sacrificially like Jesus did, to give our lives for the sake of other people who are desperate to know the truth that Jesus loved them so much, he gave their lives, his life for them, even our enemies, as hard as that is to believe. See, we see in Nehemiah his patient prayer life, an incredible life of prayer. We see where he was bold and courageous, but then we see his heart for restoration. And if we want to partner with Jesus in that work, we can look at Nehemiah for inspiration, and that's great. But really what we need to do is fall at the feet of Jesus. On this very day, it will promise us that not only has he forgiven us, he is with us, his presence, his body and blood to strengthen encourage, to inspire us to be the leaders God's calling us to be. May we, as a congregation, as a family of faith, look to Jesus and then go out and bring Jesus to the nations. Amen? Amen.